0: Driven mofos, welcome back to another episode of the Underestimated Entrepreneur. This here is part three of our three part series with Dr. Patrick Chan talking about how to stay focused in critical situations, how to maintain focus, especially when you have goals that may take years or even decades to achieve. So I hope you've enjoyed the other episodes. If you haven't heard part one and part two, please go and listen to those first. And then for those of you who have been listening to part one and part two, enjoy part three. Welcome to The Underestimated Entrepreneur, where I share mindset, lifestyle, and business hacking tips, tools, and some painful lessons along my journey from growing my businesses, and also working with some of the top entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professional athletes. So the 18-hour surgery, two days was the longest surgery. What was the most stressful surgery? Oh, there's been a lot.
1: (laughs) There's been a lot, but that's just part of it. You're going to have stress, large reconstruction. You're trying to plug the blood vessels together. So let's say you got a large tumor here and we cut it out. Then you take tissue from the thigh with the blood vessels and you plug it into the neck. But this guy is what, 80? And his blood vessels are calcified. There's all this calcium in there. You're under a microscope trying to put it back together. And every time you put a stitch in, it just tears. Every time you put a stitch in, it just tears. So then you need to trim the vessel a bit more to get a fresh area, then try it again. Do that again, oh, it just does the same thing, and then trim it. And then you got a point where you're like, it's not gonna reach. <laughs> so you got that gap now, it's not gonna reach. Then you're like, oh well, I gotta take the flap down, I gotta reposition it so that it reaches. So how do you manage that? Call for help, you're not the only one. You get tired, Every time you do something and it doesn't work, the next time you try it, it's going to be harder because you're going to be more tired. So have people around you in your business or in your team who can lift you up in those situations, who can really help you and who can control your emotions at that time. I think it's important to have a good team around you as well. Sure, we have a good team that we can get along with, but is also training that team so that in these situations of stress, you know they can cope with it, and they're not just running around trying to find equipment. You know that they can cope with that stress.
0: From the time of hearing about um, maybe initial operation yep. to actually doing it, what's the process look like there? For you? Is it learning yep. about the certain you know person or what sort the of process? There? Emergency yep. and non-emergency.
1: So you got emergency and non-emergency, right? So let's say emergency. So let's say, I'll just take an example. Someone comes in with a, let's say, a finger injury. Cut the tendons, cut the nerves and blood vessels as well. So the time you see that in an emergency, then you consent the patient, book the operation. Now, in the emergency list, there is a lot of stuff. It's not just plastic surgery. There's general surgery. There's neurosurgery. There's everything, right? So you just go on the list. It's like a priority based on like, how urgent it is. So in this hospital now, at the Roth, you need to get it done within an hour. You need to get it done, like these are the categories, you need to get it done within an hour or within four hours or within 12 to 24 hours. So these are your priorities. If it is a life-threatening infection, that's within an hour. If it is a finger-off, that's within kind of an hour to four hours. If it is like, let's just tendon and nerves, that's within 12 to 24 hours. And you just put a priority and they'll call you then you go in and you start to do the operation You brief the everyone in the operating room. Yeah, you do the operation patient stays in then followed up then the follow-up in clinic
0: Sorry one question and you would just sort of have an idea of what to do. You wouldn't need to do too much You know further research. That's, I guess. Oh, what yeah. oh yeah,
1: sorry.
0: I didn't answer your second part as well.
1: So yes So every operation I've done or seen someone do I've got notes on them. All right I see this surgeon do a certain operation, I've got notes exactly what he's done, what sutures he uses, and how he manages post he or she manages post op. So I'll just go through the notes and go from there. An elective, you can see someone, category one is within 30 days, so that's cancer work. Category two is within kind of ninety days. So that's kind of semi-elective. So let's say it's a tendon injury that's failed, but there's no wound there and you need to come back in and reconstruct it. That's probably within a few months. And then category three is like the bariatric surgery. So the weight loss patients, you try to cut out skin, et cetera.
0: So obviously you do some pretty amazing things doing this surgery stuff. This is for, you know, it's taking years and years and years of practice to get that good. One of the things you said was used to it, I'm used to it. Yep. How did you get used to it and what are some of the strategies you used till you weren't used to it?
1: How do you get used to it? Let's say it's an operation. Read up a lot. Do a lot of reading. In your head, run through. For me, I run through in my head the night before. What am I going to do? So that's essentially already practicing in my head. Then the first few times, just have someone who's done it a lot of times and who's experienced to sit there. First, show you. Then next, just sit there and watch you and critique you, just make sure they're critiquing and not just saying, oh, you're just doing a great job. Sure, you're telling me a great job, but how am I gonna improve? Everyone can improve, no one does everything perfectly. So every single move you make, you can improve. So you just need someone that you can rely on to tell you to be critical of your work. And then you get to the point that I can do this on my own. And now that's the time when you're comfortable then things can slide. You get to a point where you're comfortable and no one's critiquing you. Things can slide and you get comfortable and your complications can start to come up. So that's when, if they do start to come up, that's when you go out, go to conferences, read more stuff, see what's the new technologies out there, or get another surgeon to come in, a mentor to come in to watch you operate and start again. So there's always a new goal. So just try not to be kind of at a plateau. You don't want to be at a plateau when you're doing
0: surgery. Thanks for um, being here today, for investing your time. No problem. Two questions. First, what car do you drive? <laughs> and Or cars? <laughs> Second one is, before you prep for surgery, do you think about what possibly can go wrong, or what possibly can go right? Or both? And how do you, just the mentality. The right. reason why I ask is, I watched the Charlie Teo interview, 60 yep. Minutes, so I'm kind of I also yeah. found it
1: to be very interesting. Let me ask you a second question first. <laughs> when I prep for surgery, so I split it up. A simple, straightforward surgery, or did a complex surgery. Simple, straightforward surgery, you can do that, I can do that kind of like an hour before, All right? What can go wrong? It's just innate. During the operation, the stitches are not stitching properly, or they can be bleeding. You can get a, what they call a hematoma, bleeding underneath that can affect the skin, and you need to go back and re-suture. Or I'm cutting out skin cancer and I haven't taken enough margins and I check the result later and oh, I need to go back and cut more out. All right, that's the simple. So the more complex ones, we actually sit down in a meeting. So let's take the case of like the cranial vault where you're taking apart a six month old child's skull. So every Saturday before the operation, as so our operations on Tuesday, we meet up with the neurosurgeons and all the craniofacial surgeons. We meet up on Saturday morning and we talk about the operation. And we talk to the parents about the operation and the kids there as well. So we say, all right, this is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to start. This is you come in for this and that. And it gets to a point where you kind of know, well, if you do it so repetitively, you know what complications you can end up with. And you prepare for it because there's always, like I said, what's your first choice? What's your second choice? If this goes wrong, what's your third choice? So in your head, you have a flow sheet, flow chart. But if you're doing it for the first time, you write it up on the board with a flow chart. These are your steps in the operation. And if this goes wrong, we go here. If that goes wrong, we go there. Does that answer your second question? (laughs) First question. So my car journey, I started out with the Mazda 3. That was a good car, all right? That was a good car. I was surprised by that car. <laughs> I sold it after probably a couple of years and I got a Nissan 370Z, and that was about 10 years ago. And I still have that car. So that is my daily. And then in, I think a few years ago, I bought a BMW M6 that was passed down by one of the other surgeons. Then he was there, then I passed my exam. I passed my exam. So I've always loved McLarens, all right? I. Very passionate about McLarens. Kid, growing up, you're, oh, playing Need for Speed, yeah. Anyway, so when I passed my exam, I said, I'm just gonna live life and it's just bucket list stuff, right? Life is short, Just go out and just buy it. So I went out, passed my exam. The dealer actually called me. He's like, when you get your results? <laughs> I get it in like a week. I'll tell you when I get it. The moment I got it, bam, straight to the dealership. Is that car still available? <laughs> So then yeah, I picked it up and this guy was there for my delivery. That's where I met him. (laughs) So it all started from a dealership. (laughs) So McLaren is what I drive now. I've kept every car except for the Mazda. Because I'm going overseas, I'm going to sell some of the cars. So if anyone's interested. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, maybe.
0: (laughs) Was it touch on personality types in your profession? I think we're talking a lot about process, procedure. I just wonder what the variation of individuals in that role, there's such a finite number of people, what does personality type look like?
1: There is a range. It's surprising. You think that everyone is like bam, 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 bam. Right? But there is a range. There is some who are a lot more communicative. It's just, all right, surgery is not just technical. Initially, I thought, well, surgery is just, a oh, bloody good surgeon. It's someone who is very technical, very slick can do things very, like, you can see just how he it operates. It's like, it's not trying. That's not it. Surgery has so many components. So the Royal College of Surgeons, they have what they call competencies. And there's communication, teamwork, then technical ability, research, collaboration. There's so many things. And when they choose the next person to a training program, that's what they look at. And that's when they choose that when they do your interview that's what they look at you can't show them how good you operate so you can have surgeons out there who are maybe not as good technically but are so good to the patients and communicate so well to the patients. the patients love them it's the whole package of being a surgeon
0: I found it really interesting with that question that you asked Matt because when normally I'm used to talking to Patrick in non surgery, you know, you're pretty fun and, you know, like, very bubbly and we'll just chat and hang out and, like, go get coffees and stuff. Well, actually, you did have a coffee. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have had coffee. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I found it fascinating when I spoke to you about a week and a half ago, your tonality and everything was completely different. And I said, oh, you in surgery. It was just because I could tell in your tone. It was laser-like focus. (laughs) You were just very, yep, yep, okay. Yep, and that's not how you normally communicate when we're just chatting. Yeah. So it was interesting to see that switch, flick.
1: I think being able to adapt. We have
0: so many different types of patients that come through. Yeah.
1: I deal with a lot of druggies. I got to talk to them like I'm a druggie, but I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you talk to them differently than someone you talk to like who's you're doing the facelift, right? I was just
0: going to ask like how you approach like challenging communication whether it's with like a colleague and they've done something wrong in like a critical situation and then on the flip side like how you communicate something challenging to a patient.
1: With a colleague one I think it's very easy because in the end for us everything comes down to the patient. If we focus on the patient and the colleague's done something wrong and it's adverse to the patient then it's really easy to say, well, I think this is adverse to the patient, can you reconsider? So that's what I tell them. Obviously, pull them aside or just talk to them privately. Involve others if required, if someone who's obviously not listening. Once you focus on the goal, then it's easy. The other thing was challenging patients. It's hard, <laughs> especially the ones that don't listen to you and don't want to come back and have this massive cancer on their face. But Don't want to wait for clinic, it's hard. You just need to call family, just kind of try to make multiple appointments, phone calls, just slowly ease in. All right, get social worker involved. It's a team, so it's not just me. Nurses, social worker, other people who are probably more communicative than I am and hopefully they change their mind. That's what we try to do.
0: How do you not take that stuff personally when you know the outcome and you know the direction it needs to take because you're the expert at what you do, yet they won't listen? How do you not take it personally and get frustrated and pissed off?
1: Yeah, you can't. It's hard. We've kind of learned it throughout. Med school is like a death. You can't take it personally. It affects you, but you can't let it affect every other patient you see in that clinic. I see you and I know your diagnosis and it's bad, but I can't let that affect my mood for the next patient who I'm seeing. So you just need to switch off and go to the next one. Everyone's got a different goal, right? You just need to tick them off.
0: Awesome, thank you very much. Can everybody please give it up for Patrick? Awesome, thank you very much. Driven Mofos, I hope that you've enjoyed this three-part series. If you haven't already done so, please remember to rate and review this podcast. It'll only take two to three seconds. It does make a massive difference. Also as well, please remember to just share this with friends, family, and colleagues. Business can be such a lonely game. A lot of people out there really feel like they have a lot of pressure, a lot of stress on their shoulders, and they really don't know who to turn to. And that's why we created our Business Growth Odyssey, where we help business owners to consistently grow their business. Because if you're a business owner and you're not always growing, and you're not on top of everything that's going on in your business, it can become extremely stressful until everything starts to bottleneck and things fall apart. And for a lot of business owners, it can destroy their self-worth. It can make them feel like shit about themselves and about their lives. So that's why I do this podcast. It's also why we have our Business Growth Odyssey. Please feel free to message me if you want more information about Business Growth Odyssey as well. It's a 12-month program where we consistently help you to grow your business we create accountabilities, we catch up every 90 days in a group setting with an event here in Adelaide, and we have people fly from all around the country to come to that event. And the reason why we do that is because as a business owner, you've got to have really good support networks. Just so many business owners get really shitty advice from people who really struggle to grow their own businesses, or they listen to friends or family or people that don't have a business, and it can really impact their self-worth, it can impact their business growth, it can impact their finances, it can cause a lot of personal stress and tension within the individual business owner. If you want more information about business growth odyssey just shoot me a message on any of my social media platforms normally it's michael mojo on any social media platform but yeah i hope you've enjoyed this episode of the underestimated entrepreneur or this three-part series